Very worshipful, isn't it? Just to come to in the presence of the Lord. It's so great to be in, in His presence. You know, it's hard for me to believe this, but today we are wrapping up the heroes of the faith. Wow, you know, it's been uh, 24 weeks. That's uh, it's, uh, been a great 24 weeks for me. I've really enjoyed reading about the heroes of the faith and how we can... Uh, we can become heroes of the faith ourselves. And so really just to kind of recap so we see where we've been and where, where we are. In chapter 11, we looked at all of the great heroes of the faith of the Old Testament. Let me correct myself there. We didn't look at all of the great heroes. We looked at a few, a few of the great heroes of the Old Testament, didn't we? And we got to see what it was that made them great. And what we find is a list of, of, of people with faults, right? Like you and like me, but they put their faith in God, and, 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 the, and God used them in great and miraculous ways. Then in chapter 12, we, we got to see how you too can join the, the ranks of the, the heroes of the faith, and how we can be a part of that process. And, and the analogy that was used was that of an endurance race. If you remember in, in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so we can, can be in the same exact race, the same race that, uh, that, uh, that the Old Testament heroes were. And so the, the goal for us to, is to run in such a way that we win. The goal is to become victors, right? To be, to be victors. And we find that there's really two ways. There are two ways that you can, can get off this course. So we're to run the course that God has laid before us, and there are two ways. One of them we talked about uh, three weeks ago, before we entered the, uh, the uh, Palm Sunday and, and Resurrection Day season. And we talked about three weeks ago, if you remember that, of this, this idea of being a victim, uh, getting in the victim mentality. You remember that? And so we talked about what it's like uh, when we, we go, with, it says, with our arms down and our weak knees. And we get to this point in our, in our faith where we just feel like, oh, I'm being persecuted. And, and everything seems like a persecution. And we, we, we get into that mindset. And we found that if we make straight paths and we make morally right choices and we trust in God to reward, then, then he can strengthen us and we can get out of that victim mentality. Today I want to talk a little bit about the opposite of that. And See, we can get off course by being a victim or we can get off course by being the villain. Right? We can get off course by being the, the villain in this, in this case too. And by this, uh, I had to almost change my definition of villain as I started reading through this because this idea of, of villainy is very different than the way I would have thought by nature. And we'll talk about that a little bit today. But this idea, when you think of a villain in society, it's someone that you have to take out of the picture. You have to take them, get them off the streets, put them in a prison or something like that. They cannot participate um, uh, because of something that they've done or something about them. That's what we'll talk a little bit about today. So if you have your Bibles with, with you, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll read verses 14 through 17. We'll do a flyover of all four verses. And then we'll, we'll dissect them a little bit more. So let's look, starting at verse, verse um, 14. Pursue peace with all people, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know 
that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You know, I don't know about you, but I would hate to be the Esau of Hebrews, wouldn't you? I mean, Hebrews 11, you've got all these names. You talk about all the heroes of the faith, and, and people are being named for their heroism. And then we come to chapter 12, and you're being named for being the villain of the story. Named for not being one of the heroes. One of those who fell short of the grace of God. And that's, uh, that's what we find in these verses. Uh, and so we find that, uh, that there, there's an example of someone who did not finish the race, did not run the race, is not one of the great cloud of witnesses that, that observes the race. So let's, let's look a little closer. Let's go back to verse 14. And let's, let's dissect this passage a little bit. In verse 14... We find what's the description, really, of a victor. Uh, we see this. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And so the, we get this imagery of the victor is the one who actually sees the Lord, right? They're, this is the person who can actually get to the point where they can stand before God. Because what happens, by the way, if a normal person in their natural state sees the Lord? They die. They die. Right? We cannot see the Lord. Right? And so here are people who, who arrived. They made it. These are real victors. And there are two descriptions in here of these victors. If we could add these to what we, we talked about three weeks ago about making straight paths and trusting God to reward and punish. What we find here is that there are two more descriptions that we find of a victor. And the first one is that a victor pursues peace with men. When I say men here, I'm talking about people. As the verse says, pursue peace with all people. And so there's this, this idea that part of, a, of what a victor does is he pursues peace with all people. Now, I don't know about you, but when there's a conflict, my natural tendency isn't to pursue peace. What, what's, what's our natural response? When someone wrongs you, how do you respond? Yeah, you want to wrong them back somehow, right? And, and, and we want to uh, either attack them some, somehow, whether it's attacking them verbally or uh, in one way or another or through gossip, that's a form of, a, uh, of an attack, is it not? When you're trying to hurt the reputation of a person. Uh, we tend to either attack or we tend to write them off. Right? Or some, someone offends you and you just say, well, forget about this person. I don't want them as a, in, a, in my life anymore. And, and in fact, uh, in one of our, our the servant leaders courses that we teach, we talk about this and we, we call it violence and silence. Right? The two ways we tend to respond when, we, when, we're, when we're attacked or, or injured by another person. We either atta- attack with violence or silence. But the, the Bible says here that, that a victor is someone who is going to pursue peace. In other words, try and, and restore peace. By the way, a lot of times when we, when we think of violence and silence, we think that silence is the spiritual answer. Right? Like, hey, at least I wasn't violent. Right? How many of you are with me? Right? So we think that that's, we think, well, at least I'm not, you know, and when we write someone off, we, we, we're really saying that they're not worth, they're not worth my time and energy. I see that, I see comments on Facebook about that all the time. If a person doesn't add anything to your life, then, then they're not worth the time and blah, blah, blah. I see that kind of stuff. Anyone else see those? If you're on Facebook, you've seen that kind of stuff. And I'm saying, wait a minute, which is more damaging in the body of Christ? When I say to someone, this person, I ignore them. They're no longer a part of my life. If they sit here, I'm going to sit over there. If they sit there, I'm going to switch places, right? Why? Because I don't want them to... Is that damaging to the body of Christ? Yes. Yes, it is. 
The Bible says we should pursue peace. We, we pursue peace. In other words, if, if, I can't, if I can't look at my brother in Christ and realize, hey, this is my brother. We have the spirit of peace between us. Then something's wrong. Isn't that true? A victor says, I'm going to pursue an answer to that. I'm going to resolve this relationship. Our relationships are so important that we're going to make sure that we, we work through this. Does that make sense? You know, it's, it's like in a marriage, right? There's no such thing as marriage without conflict, right? I've never heard of it. If, if so, then you should write a book. <laughs> I'll read it, right? But what happens in a, in a marriage, in a good marriage, isn't a marriage without conflict. It's a marriage. It's a good marriage when the two work together on the conflict and they work through the conflict. Why? Because they recognize that the importance of that relationship is more important. Does that make sense? And that's, and that's the way it should be in our church relationships, too, that we just say, hey, you know what? Even though this bothers me, this irks me, whatever behavior it is about another person, if I can't look that person in the face and have a spirit of peace, then I'm going to resolve. A victor does that. And not only does a, a victor pursue peace with all people, look at what it says in verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and what? And holiness. So a, a, a victor is going to pursue peace with men, but he's also going to pursue holiness with God. And, and, and so the idea of holiness is that we're set apart for something better. We, we're not engaged in what's going on uh, right now necessarily uh, uh, because we, we're, we're looking towards, towards something better. We're set apart for something greater instead of just the common. That's the idea uh, here between this. And so what we find is that both the, the vertical and the horizontal relationships are important here. And what I mean by that is you have, you have the, the vertical relationship is our relationship with God, and you have our horizontal relationships, which is our relationships with everybody else. And no, I'm not a Catholic priest. Right? So um, every time I do say that, I catch myself looking like a Catholic priest. And, um, but the idea is that, that we have to work through both of those relationships. Is it what's right with God and what's going to help me with people? I had an RA in college that was great at that. And anytime we would talk about, well, should we do this or shouldn't we do that? He would say, first of all, he said, well, let's run it through the grid. Number one, will this help or hinder our relationship with God? He's talking about that vertical relationship. And sometimes we'd, have, we'd come with our ready answers. No, it won't because we've looked through this, blah, 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 blah. Second then, will this help or hinder our relationships with our brothers in Christ? And we'd have to think through both of those grids. And that was, became a great filter uh, to, to think through our actions. Why? Because we should pursue peace with men and we should pursue holiness with God. And the result is, what do we find in, in verse 14? Without which, no one will see the Lord. And so the result of this is that they'll see the Lord. They, they'll have victory. This is the definition of, of being a, a victor is when your relationships are right in both of these. So victors are going to live in this balance of pursuing peace with men but never... Uh, never at the expense of holiness. So when we pursue these two things, that means we can't let go of either one. And I, I think sometimes in, I've seen churches where they failed in one end of this spectrum or the other, haven't you? Where they pursue peace with men to such an extent that they let go of holiness altogether. And they'll say, you know what? I, I know it bothers you when people confront you about your sin. So we're just not going to, we're not going to confront you on your sin anymore. In fact, we're not even going to call sin, sin anymore. Why? Because we, we, we want to pursue peace with men. And you should pursue peace with men, but not at the expense of letting go of your holiness. Right? 
And then you have other people who they pursue holiness and, and this idea of being set apart for God and they pursue it to the extent that they no longer care about people. And you see this in a lot of the, the movements uh, throughout history of the monks where, where they would even separate themselves from people in a pursuit of holiness. By the way, they have a convoluted view of what holiness is in that case. And, and, and they come to the point where they're no longer relating to people. And, and no, you cannot pursue holiness in such, a, in such a way that you let go of the pursuit of peace with men. And so the, the victor is the one who lives with, hanging on to both sides, right? It, it's, like going, it's like riding a, a swing set. If, if one of those chains breaks, you're in trouble. You need to hang on to both. And so you've got to. Uh, you've got to hang on to both. And so we have to pursue holiness with God. And, and we have to pursue peace with men. And, but this is exactly where we could fall short. This is the description of a victor. But, but how do we fall short? Uh, that's, what, that's what we have to, to see as we continue reading. And this is going to be the description of the villain. And let's look at verse 15 to see how you could become the villain of the story. We read this. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, when I first read this, a question came to my mind. I was, wait a minute, fall short of the grace of God? Is this teaching then that you can lose your salvation? Is that what it, I mean, is this what it's teaching? And I'd say with the, the resounding answer, that is no. It is not teaching that. And we'll see why in the, in the context here. But what we find is that those who are, are genuinely saved can fall in the sense of feeling like a victim. Like we've already talked about that. But here we have people who fall short of the grace of God. That means they're not receiving the grace of God. And imagine that. I've heard it said before that sometimes people miss the grace of God by about one foot. They've got it right here, and they don't have it right here. They understand the information right here, but they've never accepted it with their heart. And they fall short of the grace of God. And that's the context that we see here. And there's a couple, two ways that it mentions in the text here of how, how villains we, could, we call are, can fall short of, the, of the, the glory of God, or God, of the grace of God, rather. So let's look at those uh, as we look back at verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Then he gives two examples. First one in verse 15. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become Defiled, So villains can fall short by allowing bitterness to destroy their relationships. They allow bitterness to destroy relationships. By the way, the, the two points that we see here are going to be in contrast to what we, what we just saw about, uh, about the victors. Do you remember what the first, the first description of the victor was? Is they pursue what? Peace with all men, right? They pursue peace with all men. A victor pursues peace with men, whereas a villain allows bitterness to destroy relationships. See how these are exact opposites? These are exact opposites. They allow bitterness to destroy uh, these, these relationships. You know, I, I watched this in process at one point, and I, I hated to see it. With a friend of mine who was, at the time, considered, I would consider him one of my, my top five best friends and, and outside of family. He, I mean, he was way up there. We did a lot of things together. Great friend. And as we, as we started talking, he started sharing about his upbringing, and, and he was sharing, and he had a rough upbringing. And, and he several times mentioned stories about his dad and and. And I came to the realization he had never forgiven his dad. 
never forgave his dad. I talked to him about that. And he made a conscious decision at that point not to forgive his dad. And at that point, I could see him becoming more and more bitter. And it came to a point where he then had a difficult time forgiving other people. Sometimes over the silliest things. I went rock climbing with him and another friend. And, and on the way home, we decided to eat pizza. And, and I, I got a small pizza. My friend got a small pizza. And the third guy that was with us said, no, I don't want pizza. I want a sub sandwich. And, uh, and he said, well, are you sure you don't want pizza? Because it would be cheaper if we just got like a big pizza. Right? And the, the guy wanted a sub sandwich. He, he, we got our food. He took one bite of that sub sandwich and said, hmm, I don't like this. Anyone want to trade me for your pizza? Right. That's a, it can be a little bit annoying, right? But he never forgave that. He, he ripped on that person. I said, sure, I'll, I'll eat the sub sandwich. I mean, it's all Hungry Howie's. It's right. It's the same thing. And, and, and yet he, he, he didn't forgive him. And it started showing up in his relationships with other people and other people. Sometimes over the silliest things and, and, and got to a point uh, where he was causing such division in the church that I actually had to go help in the process, follow through the process of church discipline with him. Oh, it broke my heart. Because what it boils down to is the bitterness for things that he never deserved to begin with. He didn't deserve to be treated the way he had been treated as a child. But yet, Christ offers a way of, of liberation when we rid ourselves of our bitterness. And yet he, he held on to that bitterness. And what did that bitterness do? It rose up. Bitterness grows. I'll tell you that right now. If you're bitter towards anyone right now, bitterness grows. In fact, I, I remember uh, watching on TV not that long ago where they were talking about the different diets out there that work. This is a secular program, so they, they weren't pushing Christianity. But they, they said that all the diets that tend to work long term begin with having you, they, first of all, they said they treat you as a whole person, not just as a physical body. Number two, they said you start by forgiving everyone who has harmed you. Think about that. It affects even your body. Your system works better when you have no bitterness in your life. Think about that. I mean, uh, what, what an amazing thing. And, uh, and so, so we find that this idea of, of not allowing bitterness to destroy our relationships is an important one. There's a second, uh, second one mentioned in here in verse 16. Let's look at verse 16 together as well. It says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. So the second way that, that you can fall short is by trading permanent joy for temporal pleasures. Now let me explain this uh, for a moment because there are two examples that we find in, in, in this, this example here. It says, first, let there, uh, lest there be any fornicator. Uh, it's important to understand that the, the word uh, there for fornication the Greek word is a little bit different than the way we use it in English. In English, the word fornication, we usually use in reference to, to sexual immorality in the case of sex prior to marriage, right? The Greek word for fornication, porneia, actually means all sexual immorality. So, uh, so in Greek, for example, adultery is a form of fornication. Does that make sense? In English, we would use those, dis those words distinctly. Uh, but So when it says here that, that there's a fornicator, he's not just talking about someone who has sex before marriage, but he's talking about anyone who is involved in sexual immorality, period. Does that make sense? Um, 
And so we, we see that example. So the first example we find here um, is, is, uh, is sexual immorality. Let me uh, move up. I, I went got behind on my, on my thing there. Okay, there we go. Sexual immorality. Now, so we see this in the example of Esau, right? So we see this in the example of Esau. Now, we don't have a, a whole lot of the details, but if you want to keep your finger here in, uh, in Hebrews 12, I'm going to take us uh, quickly to Genesis as well, Genesis 26. And this is what we read in verses 34 and 35. It says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. So, first of all, we see sexual immorality here in a couple of senses. Number one, they were told not to marry the Hittites, right? Those were the descendants of Heth, right? They were not to marry the descendants of Heth. They were not to marry the Hittites because they followed a, a false religion. So this, this was sexual immorality because he was involved with people of a false religion. Does that make sense? It's also sexual immorality because of what? There's two of them, right? So, so... You know, anyone uh, who studies the scripture knows that that's never seen, in a pos- never seen in a positive light in scripture, right? And so I find he, he's involved in sexual immorality. And he did this, why? Because of whatever reason he thought in the short term, in the here and now, this would be better for him. It would be beneficial for him. The only thing he did right here was he waited till he was 40. I'm just saying that for my, my son and my daughter's sake, right? You don't get married until you're 40. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, no, but he, he, he married incorrectly. And we, what we find as we read through the rest of the story, and you read through the scriptures, this became a problem. It became a problem in the family. It became a problem for him. Uh, in fact, I love the way it's put it in chapter 27. If you just skip over a page or two. Um, um, oh, it says in, very, in the very next verse. I, I forgot to mention verse 35. It says, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So his parents hated the fact that he married these, these two Hittites. And uh, we get, skip ahead a chapter. Look at what Rebekah says. This is his mom now. Rebekah said to Isaac, her husband, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. Who she's talking about? Her, her, son's, her son's wives. If Jacob, the other son, if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the Lamb, what good will my life be to me? You see the, the, the chaos that Esau brought into his family through sexual immorality. And, and I'll tell you what, as, as a person who, who some part of my job sometimes is, is helping people work through the messes, right? I'll tell you what, sexual immorality, I've never once seen a situation where I thought, well, that, that, that was easy. Right? Sexual immorality always leads, it's always difficult. God has a way to, to deal with it, amen? amen. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or who's been, I'm not going to, but I'll tell you what, God has forgiven an awful lot from a lot of people, amen? And only by the grace of God. And we're all guilty of a lot of things. So I don't, I don't want to be one of those pastors that categorizes certain sins as worse than others. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, uh, uh, God can forgive. However, it doesn't reduce the idea that this, that this is a problem, that this is trading something permanent for temporary pleasures. He wanted the temporary pleasures, but he gave up the long-term joy uh, in the long run. It caused him no end of problems. The second example we see in verse 16, where it says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food 
sold his birthright. So here we have the idea of fornication, but we also have the idea of profanity, uh, the, the idea. So we have the sexual immorality, which uh, was the first one. The second one is, is the profanity. And the, the, the word profanity literally means um, open and unprotected from pollution. That's word, what the word profane means. So that's why when we, when we use the word profanity, we're usually talking about words, right? Like we might say, well, this movie has a lot of profanity in it. What, what does that mean? It's, it's open to, to words. It, it's, you're allowing yourself to hear a lot of polluted stuff, right? That's the idea um, when we talk about profanity. Uh, and it's opening himself up to, to pollution. And here the example that is given is that he traded a morsel of food for his birthright. A morsel of food for his birthright. What's that talking about? Well, to understand this, we have to go all the way back to Genesis as well. So uh, keep a finger here in, in Hebrews. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 through 34. We read this. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. By the way, this, this is probably a typical day, because the Bible tells us very clearly that Jacob was a man of the house. He was a mama's boy, right? He was the favorite of the mom. He liked to cook. Uh, nothing wrong with that. There's, uh, uh, but that was, he just loved to be indoors. He loved to cook. Esau was daddy's favorite, right? And he was, he was hairy. He was red-haired, according to scriptures. And he was an outdoorsman. He loved to hunt. And so we, we have a typical day here where uh, Esau's coming in from the, the field, probably fresh off the hunt. And Jacob's made a nice stew. Verse 30, we read this. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Notice it's not just the red stew, but it's that same red stew. In other words, it's that one, that, that favorite one, you know, that one that you do regularly. Can you, can you make that, that really good red stew? Uh, goes on to say, uh, uh, Therefore his name was called Edom. Uh, that's interesting because Esau means red or hairy. The Bible shows that he was both, right? And then the, the word that they use in Moab for red is Edom. And so uh, we, we start to see his connections to Moab uh, begin right here. I wish we could go into all of that as well. Um, uh, but Esau is, was, was called Edom, which means red. And so he loves this red stew as well. And so you, you keep seeing this thing come up. Verse 31, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Now Jacob... Jacob is the one that, honestly, the first time I read the story, I looked at Jacob and thought, here's the villain of the story. Esau's the victim. God sees things a little bit differently than me, which means one of us has to change our opinion. (laughs) Right? Guess who had to change his opinion? It was me, right? Of course. So so we look at this and we see Jacob is this villain in in our sense of the word. and, And yes, it was wrong for him to do that. He was a conniver. Right. In fact, the the the, the uh, phraseology that they used in Hebrew for a conniver is a heel grabber, and the word Jacob means a heel grabber. Right. So the idea is is that he's just catching on, you know, riding the tails of someone else. You know. Uh, it, in fact, uh, we we have this happen sometimes in Algonquin when we are on, a, on canoe trips, and you get someone who's they're getting tired, so they'll paddle real hard to catch up to someone else, and then the person in the front will take his paddle and quietly sneak it up and put it into the back of the, the canoe in front of them. You get the image? So now they're providing all the image, and all that guy's going to just kind of sit there holding back as one canoe is actually dragging the other. It, it, it turns out into a lot of 
Well, relationships like Jacob and Esau's start to begin to happen here. Uh, but that's, where, that's where, where Jacob was. And here he's saying, oh, you're hungry? I have food? Sell me your birthright. Now, birthright is double portion of the inheritance. Now, in this case, there's only two kids, so that's a big deal. So if you have, the idea was if you had ten kids, you would divide your portion into eleven. And the one with the birthright would get two portions. If you have, you know, seven kids, you divide it by eight. You always divide it by one more so that one person can get a double portion. How many kids are we talking about here? Two. So a double portion means you're going from having one-third or two-thirds. And so here Jacob is saying, sell me your birthright. What he's saying is, I want one-third of, of dad's inheritance that was planned to go, in, to go to you to come to me. So you get one-third and I get two-thirds. For how much? One meal. This is, this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. Look at verse 32. He says, and Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? What's he doing? He's exaggerating, right? He wasn't about to die. At least not according to Hebrews, right? So we know he wasn't about to die. And he's just saying, who cares? And so what was he? He was thinking about what? Right here, right now. He was, he was thinking about the temporary pleasure instead of the long-term pleasure permanent joy. Does that make sense? Yeah. And he's, uh, this is what I want. This, I mean, who, uh, who cares about the future? I, I need to live right now. Verse 33. Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. By the way, God takes our vows very seriously. Mm-hmm. And so in God's mind, okay, you gave it up, buddy. It's over. It belongs to Jacob. And, and God allowed it to happen from that point on and, uh, and gave it to him. Verse 34. And, and Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils that he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. In the book of Genesis, it's a historical book, so a lot of times it just goes into telling you what happens. On occasion, the author, under inspiration of God, slips into a little commentary. And here he goes into the heart of Esau and says he despised his birthright. Why? Because when you don't value the future, you don't value something bigger and better, then that's hating it. That's despising it. And and so he uses very strong language to help us understand where this is coming from. So how did Esau fall short? How did he fall short? He, He got caught up in the here and now and gave up the better future reward. By the way, I think, uh, I think this is what we do oftentimes with credit cards. Isn't that true? What is a credit card about? It's about saying, I want something now. I can't afford it now, so I'm going to pay for it now. And you're giving up the long-term benefit because you have entered into debt. And the Bible says very clearly, you, you become a, a slave to your debtors. Right? So you have to be very careful who you choose to be your debtors. This comes down to a law of what we call the law of delayed gratification. That means giving up something now, something that's temporary now, so that you can receive something better later. This is a biblical concept, isn't it? It's a very biblical concept. And, and so here we see Esau is the villain of the story because he did not understand the law of delayed gratification. He was not willing to do that. In fact, he did the exact opposite. He, he gave up something better in the future later. Why? So that he could have something temporary right now. That bowl of soup did not last very long. Neither do the things that we buy with credit cards oftentimes, right? Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to have a credit card. 
as long as you pay it off at the end of every month, right? But when you purchase something that you can't afford, you know, then, then the person who convinced you to do it is a conniver. And oftentimes it's your, you yourself. If you, and, and why? Because you're giving up something better, future, the freedom of, of not having a debt so that you can have something that you can't afford right now that if God wanted you to have, by the way, he would have given it to you. Isn't that true? If God wanted you to have it, he, could have, he would have given you a way to afford it. Esau received the temporary benefits, a bowl of soup, he got it. But at the expense of a future reward and a better reward. Look at uh, uh, this, the, I have a little video here from the great theologian John Stossel. That's a joke. Just kidding. For those who know John Stossel, he, he's not a great theologian. In fact, he's spiritually blind, according to the Bible. He's not a believer. Um, uh, and, uh, however, even a blind person can stumble across some truth. Isn't that true? But look at this video where he talks about what he, he found to be the, uh, the, a key determining factor in the success or failure of a child. Now again, remember, this is from a secular point of view, but, but notice what he, what he has to say. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn it to the video right now. What's the biggest predictor of success in life? Brains, rich parents, good looks? None of those, say the experts. The biggest predictor is, can you delay gratification? All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. It smells yummy. So can he stand to wait to eat it? This is an experiment that's been tried in many forms with many kids, but the idea is always the same. Test whether a child will eat the candy now or get twice as much if he can wait 15 minutes. As you see here, most kids cannot wait. Only about a third were able to delay, often distracting themselves by looking away. But about a third were able to wait 15 minutes. How'd you do? And earn the extra candy. You wouldn't eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give me another one? Okay, I even have both. The first group of kids who took this test 40 years ago were followed and tested years later. The kids who didn't eat marshmallows had SAT scores 200 points higher. 213 points higher on average. They were happier, healthier. The kids who successfully delayed gratification at this age do much better later in life. Not just better in school, but they make more money. They are happier. They have better relationships and they're less likely to get into trouble. But the kids who ate the marshmallows, many of them were in trouble. Yes. Joaquin de Posada replicated the marshmallow experiment in South America. The kids behaved the same way North American kids did. Take a look at this uh, girl. She's actually hyperventilating. She wants the marshmallow badly. They're playing mind games in order not to eat the marshmallow. Most gave in. That kid could not wait, not even 10 seconds. This doesn't mean that he'll fail in life, but the researchers say it does mean he's more likely to struggle. Okay, we'll leave it there for a moment. How many of you ever seen the marshmallow test before? We've all had our own marshmallow tests. How many of us have failed some of those marshmallow tests? Right? It might not be a marshmallow, but it's, it's the reality. And what we find is, is that there is a biblical concept of delaying our gratification and, and, and doing what is, what is right right now is sometimes going to be difficult. Amen? But 
God always has greater rewards for it. Well, let's take a look um, at, at, at uh, verse 17. We see that Esau received his temporary benefits, but at the expense of something better. And look at verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Wow, what an amazing, uh, what an amazing verse to see that Esau, he, he gave it up at the, in the moment and it wasn't a big deal. He says, well, what's, what, is my, what is my life to me? What is the birthright to me? But when you, get, you fast forward and you go to the end of his life, or not the end of his life, but the end of the story where he's, he's supposed to receive the birthright, he sought it diligently with tears and he could not receive it. He, he was unable to, uh, to receive it. This goes all the way back to Genesis again. If you want to uh, take, take a look at Genesis chapter 27, a little background. You might remember that Jacob the conniver, Jacob the heel grabber, and his mom, remember he was her favorite, they came up with this scheme to trick Isaac, who, was, who, had, some, who had poor eyesight, to trick him into giving the blessing to, uh, to Jacob instead of Esau. Remember the story? It's been a long time since, uh, since Sunday school. For, for some of you, you might, it's been a long time. But remember that story. But remember, it's, it's very easy for Isaac to know which one was which because, because Esau was hairy. So they actually put goat skin on Jacob and he went in and pretended to be Esau, right? Which tells you how hairy Esau really was. If goat skin was, you know, he felt goat skin, yep, that's my son, right? And, uh, and so we have this, and so he, get, he gave the blessing to Jacob instead of to Esau. And then we come to verse 37 of, uh, of uh, Hebrews 27. And, uh, and we read this. Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him, talking about him, your brother, Jacob, I have made him your master, and all his brothers I have given to him as servants with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What shall I do for you, for you my son? What do you say? Um, uh, he's saying, I- I've already given the blessing to your brother. It goes on to verse 38. And Esau said to his father, have, have you only one blessing, father? Bless me, me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. See, the point is, in the future, when it's, it, it, it can be too late, and there'll come a point where you say, I really want, if I could go back and change the decision in the past, I would do that. But here I am, isn't there any way? And you see what this is a picture of? This is a picture of our entire life because we have a choice between giving up the, what, we, what we have right now for something eternal or we can focus on this one life that we have right now and lose the eternal and this is showing us that one day it will be too late. And, and what we find in the throne room are, are people within the exact same situation as Esau. They're going to stand before God and say, wait a minute, isn't there any way? No, there's no way. It's too late. Once you die, the, the time is over and, and, you're, and you're judged. The Hebrew says it is a point on a man wants to die and after this, the judgment. And so we, we find this sad scenario. And what it boils down to is is when you look at these, in both cases, Esau got caught up in the here and now and gave up the eternal. Does that make sense? When you think of sexual immorality, he, he, for, for the, the, the joy of the here and now, he, he gave up 
the long-term joy. With his birthright, for the joy of the here and now, he gave up rights to all that God had in store for him in the future, and he lost his birthright. The point is that victors do not trade the eternal for the temporary. If you want to be a victor, you cannot trade the eternal for the temporary. You want to, you want to be a hero of the faith? Then give up the temporary for the eternal. Does that make sense? Remember what Jesus said? And he was talking about what it really means to follow him. In Matthew 20, or 16, verse 24 and 25, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, you want to follow Jesus, what do you have to do? You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Wow. Is that, I mean, how many people would sign up based on that alone? All right. Hey, you know, hey, we're going to go get crucified. Anyone want hey, grab, If you want to get crucified, grab a cross, follow me. How many, how many would come? But he's saying, yeah, of course it's not attractive right now. It's not, it, 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 this is, it, you give up your life in the temporary. Why? Because God has something greater in store for you in the long term. God has something great in mind for you. This is why Jesus said that, that the one who, 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 uh, who loses his life will find it. And the one who, who tries to find his life now will eventually lose it. You know, an example of someone I think that, that really caught this idea um, uh, would, would be Jim Elliot. Um, when you find, oh, I forgot to mention that verse. Uh, sorry, verse 25. I had it on the screen. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are the words of Jesus. When you think of, of Jim Elliot, you know, how many of you know who Jim Elliot is? Yeah. Great missionary. Went to, uh, with the saints, uh, went to uh, the Alka Indian tribe. They were known as the fierce people because of how violent they were. And, and he went there knowing that there would be the possibility of losing his life. And people were asking, how can you do that? How can you go to a place where you think you might even lose your life? And it was found later in his journal, found these words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How beautiful words. Those words take on more meaning than when you realize what, what he did do. And he did give his life for the Alka Indians. They did kill him, and, 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 and he was killed for that. But you know what? He, the, the wise went back, and that was such a testimony that they must have some kind of message that, they, that they're willing to die for this message. And they listened to the message, and many of them became believers, and many of them became followers of Jesus Christ. God did an amazing work in that tribe, but it required the death of a few of of his believers, of a few of his heroes of the faith. But I guarantee you this, a million years from now, if you were to ask him, in heaven, that's, that's where I hope that all of us will be, if you ask him, was that a good choice? What do you think he's going to say? Yeah. He's going to say the same thing that he wrote in his journal all the way back when he was alive on this earth. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This life that God has given us is not something that we can keep. There is no human being that has ever discovered the way to live forever. And it's not going to happen. But you can focus everything on this life, and you can focus everything on, on what, you can, what you can acquire for yourself in this life and lose eternity. And that's no different than Esau who, for a morsel of food, 
gave up his birthright. Does that make sense? And God says, that's, that's for losers. This is not for victors. This is, this is for losers. Question for, what about you? Today, three questions for introspection here. Number one uh, has to do with your horizontal and vertical relationships. Do you pursue peace with men and holiness with God? Where are you in that process? Do you, do you pursue peace with other people? Because victors are going to pursue peace with men and holiness with God, and they're not going to let either one of those go. Second question for that, uh, have you allowed bitterness to destroy relationships? Maybe there's, there's some even relationships in this room right now that might need to be restored. So it's, it's, I don't know what they are. No one else knows what they are, but you know that there's a relationship between you and someone else that needs to be restored. Maybe today is the day just to make that decision that I am no longer going to be bitter. Maybe there's bitterness that someone has or that, or that in this room because of something that someone else has done to them and they've held on to this bitterness. Today's the day to let go of that. Say, Lord, I'm letting go. You say, well, maybe the person's dead. Maybe the person who did... You can forgive someone who is gone. Isn't that true? You can forgive someone. What you can do is say, I am no longer going, I'm going to forgive that person. Not because they deserve it. Why do we forgive? According As, as the Bible says, as, as Christians, we forgive. Not because someone deserves. We forgive because Christ forgave us. We forgive as Christ forgave us. And, and so if we forgive as, only as people deserve it, we're all in a mess of trouble. But the moment we, we let go and we say, we're going to do what, God's, what Christ says. We're going to forgive as Christ forgave. You let go of that bitterness. And you'll, you'll be amazed what that does to your relationships. And then thirdly, have you gotten caught up in the here and now when you should be focused on eternity? You know, th- this has an application for, for both believers and, and seekers. If, if you're a believer, there is an application for this because we can still get caught up in the here and now, can't we? We forget the reason that we're here. And we start focusing on all of the things that are going on in the physical world around us instead of focusing on the reason. We are here with a purpose. And we'll talk a little bit about that purpose in the business meeting as we look at the Great Commission. Uh, but we're here for a purpose. And we, we forget that purpose. And we get upset, you know, over the silliest things. And, and, and we're all about the, the cable channels we get or the, 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 the toys we have. Because adults, we have toys, right? We have... We have things that we, we like to play. And, and I'm not saying it's wrong to have those things. I'm just saying we get caught up in the here and now to the point that we sacrifice the future rewards, the future joys for a morsel of food. Does that make sense? And so, so if the Lord's working on you in, in either of those areas, I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a moment to come forward. It's between you and God and just say, Lord, this is, this is I'm listening. This is how you're speaking to me. This is how I'm listening to what. And just let the Holy Spirit talk to you. But this also has an application for those who are maybe seeking. Those who have said, you know, I don't know, Pastor Dave. I've never actually come to that point where I have, have surrendered my here and now to God. I didn't realize that, that, that following Christ meant picking up my own cross and following him. I never came to that point where I said, all right, Lord, I surrender my life to you. And if that's the decision you'd like to, to make today, then I would like to invite you as well to make that decision to say, Lord, I surrender my life to you completely. This will change your eternal destiny. It'll change your, the meaning and purpose of your life. And it won't be easy in the present. But the joy of what God has in store for us is so much better. 
it's a great, it's a, it's a better decision to make. So I, I'm going to invite you in just a moment after we pray. We're going to sing, uh, take my life. And if the Lord is working in your, in your heart in any of those ways, I would ask that you not reject him, but respond to him in this moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for the examples of the heroes of the faith. And Lord, we also thank you even for the example of those who fell short of your grace. Because Lord, my, in my heart of hearts, my desire is that no one in this room falls short of your grace. That we all receive your grace. Lord, it has nothing to do with how good we are. But as, it's, as you said in your word today, it, it was nothing, even, even the poor decisions that Esau made weren't enough to condemn him. But that he, he had no room for repentance. So when he cried and when he wanted what was good, he cried for it with tears, but he couldn't have it. Lord, I pray that that would not be true of anyone in this room. I pray that we would all, that all be able to one day stand before you and hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because we're great people, but because we followed your son and that we gave up the, the temporal pleasures that the world offers in pursuit of holiness. And so I pray that you would help us to make that decision today, Lord, that we would be pursuing holiness with you, peace with each other. And I pray this in Christ's name.